First Corinthians chapter eight deals entirely with the topic of Christian liberty, uh, what we can and cannot do as believers and Christians. Uh, if you remember, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth in response to a letter uh, that they had written to him. And uh, if you remember back in First Corinthians chapter seven, uh, there he talked about the chap or the subject of of um, of marriage there. Look, if you will, in chapter 7 and verse number 1. He says, about the things you wrote. Okay? So right here is a natural division in the book of 1 Corinthians. The first six chapters, he was dealing with the known public sins in the church. And he was touching each one of those known sins in the church. Now, from chapter 7, throughout the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, he's addressing the questions that they wrote to him in a letter. Okay? The first thing he tackled was marriage, and that was in chapter 7. Now, once again, remember, the entire chapter 7 was devoted to marriage, but it's not a full, complete doctrine on marriage. So you can't just take chapter 7 and build your theology on marriage. You've got to take the entire counsel, the entire word, word of God, and build that. But he did talk about that in the entire chapter. In chapter number 8, I want you to look in verse number 1. He says, "...about food offered to idols." Now, apparently there was some problems, there were some issues, some concerns, some questions with the believers in the church at Corinth on whether they could or could not eat this meat that had been previously offered up to idols. So now Paul is addressing that and he's, uh, he's sharing some of his viewpoints on that and some of what the Lord would have him to say to these believers at Corinth. Now, how does this apply to us today? As I give this teaching on eating this meat, we got to think, well, that's totally irrelevant to us today. How does that even apply to us today as Christians and as believers, as members and attenders here at Victory Church? How does that apply? Well, it it applies whenever you think about all the gray areas in love on whether you should or should not do something as a Christian. Uh, Whether the Bible is definitive in that area or not, what do we do about some of those areas? And so it concerns us about what are our Christian liberties? What are we allowed to do as a Christian. And, um, and once again remember that our faith, our, our Christianity, it's about our personal relationship with the Lord. And it's also our relationship with each other. You remember what Jesus said was the greatest commandment of all, of all the commands in the Word of God. And by the way, there's more than ten. Can I get a witness? You know, there's more than just ten. There's, there's hundreds of commands in God's Word. And one day a scholar went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest command of all? Just tell me, what's the greatest one? That's the one I want to keep. And he said, what? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything. Love God. And he said, the second is locked into it, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love each other. Guys, do you realize that's what Christianity is all about? It's loving God and loving each other. It's building relationships. Christianity is not built on a set of rules and regulations, a set of do's and don'ts. You know, you, you get saved and we say, okay, and we, we write down a to-do list and we hand it to you and say, keep all this and everything will be well. Don't do this and you'll be okay. That's legalism. And that's not our Christian faith. But in view of all of that, In our relationship with the Lord and in our relationship with each other, it's going to dictate to us on the basis of our love for God and our love for fellow man on what we do and don't do. Do you understand that? 
It's not necessarily a set of rules. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's where you go. Here's where you cannot go. Here's what you can partake of. Here's what you cannot partake of. It's not a set of regulations and rules like that. It's not that cut and dry. Am I making myself clear here? It's about loving God and loving each other. And if we love God and love each other, we don't want to do anything in our life that would offend our fellow brother or sister in Christ. That's the gospel in the in chapter 8 in a nutshell that Paul is going over here, okay? So there were some things taking place in the church that the stronger Christians were partaking of that they knew did not violate their faith, but that the younger Christians were taking issues with because it had offended them. So you can understand how this is a gray area here. In, in chapter chapter 8. And I love, let's just, I don't know about you, but whenever I get a letter from someone or an email from someone, of course, email, it's kind of obvious. You can see who it's from. But whenever I get a letter from someone, you know what I always do? I go down to the very bottom and see who wrote it. Don't you? I mean, I want to know who it's who it's from. Whenever I read a book, you know what I usually do? I used to go to the end of, end of the book and see how it ends and then go back to the beginning of the book and read it, especially if it's a novel or something like that. I mean... Just get to the bottom line for me, okay? No, is that wrong? Is that wrong? That's just how I, I want to know the bottom line, okay? Then I'll go back and build on that. That's, that may be, that's horrible, I know. And I know I just violated some of your principles right there about reading. But that's what I enjoy doing. So let's, (laughs) for for those of you that are going to have trouble doing this, let's get to the bottom line of this chapter, and then I want to go back and build on that. So to do that, we got to go to the very last verse, okay? Let's go to the very last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. This is the premise, the baseline, if you will, for what Paul is talking about here in this chapter. And I'm going to go back and unpack it. And I won't get it all completely unpacked today, but we'll spend some time on it. Look what he says. Very last verse, verse number 13. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat. So that I won't cause my brother to fall. Now, you take the word food out and you take the word meat out. That was the issue that they were dealing with on whether they could eat meat that had been offered up as a sacrifice to a pagan god in the pagan temples of idol worship. That was the issue. You take the word food out and you take the word meat out and you put in whatever it is in your life that you may have question about whether it's right or wrong to do as a Christian. And right here would give you a good baseline conviction, if you will, on whether you will partake in that thing or not, or go to that place or not, or allow that or not in your life, in your family, in your home, whatever the case may be. What is the baseline premise? If it offends my brother or sister in Christ, then I'm not going to do it. Hello? Why is that? Because you got to remember, your Christian walk with God and your faith, it's not about you. Hello? How many times have we said that from this podium? How many times have we said that from this platform? Life, our Christian life and faith is not about you. And it's not about me. It's not just about me having a wonderful life. It's about me loving God and loving my neighbors. Life is about me serving. Life is about you serving. And if there's anything that we do in our life that would offend one of those that Jesus said is the second greatest command of all, 
If it offends one of my weaker brothers or sisters in the faith, not as spiritually mature as I may be or you may be, if it offends them, Paul just said, I'm not even going to do it. Why? Because Paul didn't live his life for himself. It's evident. You read about all of his missionary journeys. You read about all the sacrifices that he did. If Paul would have lived life according to himself when it was all about himself, he would have never got out of the Pharisee club. He would have never stepped down from the seventh seat of the Sanhedrin. He would have never never stepped down from the, from the religious leadership role that he had on that day on the road to Damascus. But there he was confronted and he had a decision he had to make. Now, he made the decision to follow Christ. And that's the day when he made the decision that life is not about me. That's good stuff, is it not? That's what all of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is talking about. Okay, that's the bottom line. I've already stole the thunder now. So let's go back and unpack a little bit of what this book is, is about here. I want you to, as we talk about the wider issue of Christian liberty... I want you to see how this teaching applies to us. And this was the concern that the church at Corinth had. And so they wrote Paul about it in a letter. He's writing back to them about the subject of their Christian liberty. Now, it does not just involve chapter 8. It involves chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. These three chapters go together under the same subject of Christian liberty. And Paul is unpacking some principles for them that he wants them to understand in these particular chapters. If you take him notes, you may want to jot these down. If not, just listen really well and put it in the margin of your mind and recall it sometime later. But he gives four different principles on their Christian liberty, do's and don'ts of the faith that they can do in the areas that are gray. And by the way, you're faced with those gray areas nearly every single day of your life. What are you basing your decision on? What values have you placed in your life that you're basing your decision upon? On whether you're going to do that or or indulge in that or not. Here's the four principles very quickly. Let me give them to you as a list and then we'll go back and we'll just unpack, try to unpack one of them today. The four principles are this. Knowledge, first of all, knowledge must be balanced by love. That's principle number one. Knowledge must be balanced by love. That's what chapter 8 is all about. The second principle is this. Authority must be balanced by discipline. And that in and of itself is what chapter 9 is about. Authority must be balanced by discipline. Chapter 10 actually brings out two of the principles. Experience must be balanced by caution And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Experience must be balanced by caution. Then the fourth principle is freedom must be balanced by responsibility. And that's chapter 10, verse 23 through 33. Freedom must be balanced by responsibility. Now, those are the four principles that we're going to spend probably six or eight weeks unpacking right here as we start talking about these gray areas in the Christian's faith, in our Christian walk. What are we allowed to do concerning our Christian liberty that we have in the Lord. Now, in chapter 8, actually in this entire letter, Paul is primarily addressing the strong Christians at the church of Corinth. Those strong ones, those mature believers, those, those ones that have tremendous knowledge and, and, and tremendous spiritual maturity, if you will. I mean, they're above some of the little things that the immature believers were getting hung up on. 
but they were taking that knowledge and they were abusing it. Okay? Now, there's two things that you must know about knowledge or about this chapter. Primarily, there's three. We're going to see, first of all, there are two gods in this chapter. And they really should be the two gods in our life. The first god is knowledge. The second god is love. And it impacts all of our consciences. So we're going to deal with knowledge and love and our conscience. And guys, let me just share this. Knowledge without love leads to pride. You understand that? Knowledge without love leads to being arrogant and puffed up, swollen and prideful. Which, by the way, God hates. Okay? So knowledge without love leads to pride. But, get this now, love without knowledge leads to liberalism or permissiveness. Everything's acceptable. Right? Everything is good and lovely. What feels good to you? Do it. It's all in love. What is that? That's love without knowledge. So you see the difference? Do you, do you know, as I, as I go over this, and as I've been studying this for the past four or five weeks now, I can tag individuals, I can tag people, I can tag ministries, I can tag churches that fall under one of these two areas. They've got tremendous knowledge, which has brought them up to where they believe they walk on a higher spiritual plane than anybody else, and their whole heart and ministry and life and church is filled with this arrogant pride. I know people like that. I know churches like that. On the other hand, to the far other extreme, I know pastors, I know churches, I know Christians, I know ministries, I know people, that it's all about love. It's just love. And whatever is pleasing, it's okay. That leads to liberalism. That leads to permissiveness. That leads to everything. Everything's not okay. What is that? That's love without knowledge. So do you see where you must have knowledge, but it must be balanced with love? You see that? That's what Paul is unpacking here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. That's the bottom line principle. That's why he could say, if eating meat is going to offend my brother, then I'll just make a vow. I'm not going to eat meat anyway. Forever again, if it offends someone, I don't need it. What was that? That was knowledge. He knew that eating meat, there was nothing wrong with that. But he knew it was balanced in love because he knew that it offended his weaker brother or sister in Christ. So do you see the two gods that we must have in our life? Now get this. Some people mess up because they base everything on logic. Is it logical? It sounds logical. That's okay. Do it. You cannot... Live your Christian life, nor, nor build your theology, nor build your principles, nor build your values based on logic. Hello? It's got to be based on knowledge, what is the truth of God's Word, and balanced by love. How am I gonna, how's this gonna affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? How is this going to affect my church? How is this going to affect my wife, or for wives, my husband. How is this going to affect our children? How is this going to affect 
my witness. You see, love makes us concerned about everybody else and not necessarily about ourselves, right? Because love gives, right? So whenever we live in our life, whenever we start thinking about these Christian liberties that we have in our life, such as, is it okay for Christians to smoke? Knowledge balanced with love. Is it okay for Christians to go to the movies? You got to understand my background. I was brought up in a very legalistic type of ministry that gave me a whole list of do's and don'ts. Matter of fact, you never saw any movie, period. If it came out of Hollywood, it was evil. It's cursed. I mean, that's kind of what I was brought up in, okay? Now, that's, that's all I knew at that time, being brought up in that. So for years and years and years, I've never seen, never saw movies. And I'd run across people and they'd say, hey, by the way, have you seen this movie? Da, da, da. I said, nope, haven't seen it. Nope, haven't seen it. Matter of fact, many of you in this church have asked me about movies, some particular movies. And Sorry, I haven't seen them. You know, I just don't have years and years and years and years of history on that. But I understand now that there are some that are acceptable. And I still believe there's some you shouldn't watch. And I still believe there's a line we've got to draw somewhere. But maybe not to the extreme of no movies. But you know what I'm saying? It's all this gray area. So smoking, going to the the movie houses. You know, as I was growing up, I heard that preached again. You don't go to the movie house, the theaters. You know, what about what about drinking alcohol? Is it okay to have a little social drink? Is it all right to have a little wine? Just a little sip, a little social drink. Is that okay? Once again, knowledge balanced with love. And you could put any of those or anything else that you struggle. By the way, is it okay? Is it okay for ladies to wear slacks or jeans or pants? You know, I was kind of brought up in a church where ladies weren't allowed to do that. I'm just telling you what I was brought up in. Okay, I mean, I've I've come out of that a little bit. You can say, praise the Lord. Amen, right? I mean, look around. You can see I'm out of that. Okay. But once again, it's knowledge balanced with love. And the problem is we have too many ministries, too many churches, too many individuals at one extreme or the other. Knowledge puffed up with pride. Knowledge alone with the absence of love leads to a prideful, arrogant, holier-than-thou type mentality. But on the other hand, love in the absence of knowledge leads to liberalism and permissiveness and everything's okay. There's got to be a balance somewhere between the two. As you bring knowledge and you bring love and you bring them together and you wrap it around the great commandment that Jesus gave, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, two greatest commandments, you bring all of those together and there's where you build and base your decision, not at the extremes. Am I making myself clear here? I've done a tremendous amount of talking, and, and but I'm just trying to share with you the principles of what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter number number 8. Now, what was the issue? The issue was this food that was being offered up to idols. Let's look at the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1. <clears throat> About food offered to idols. We know that, and you'll notice in your Bibles, <clears throat> the next phrase is in quotations. We know that we all have knowledge. What is Paul doing? He's quoting back to them, apparently, 
a portion of their letter that they had wrote to Paul in defense of themselves. They're asking him about this food offered up to idols. And apparently they told Paul, we're, we're knowledgeable about this. We've got knowledge about... By the way, the Corinthian church was one of the most blessed church in the entire churches that were set up under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I want you to turn back, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to look at verse number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 5. In verse 4, Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of God's grace. That's the Greek word charis, which means gifts. His grace, his gifts that he has given to you in Christ Jesus. The, the Corinthian church was a gifted church. And look what he says in verse 5. That by him you were made rich in everything, in all speaking and in all, what? Knowledge. You see, this Corinthian church had tremendous knowledge. So Paul could not write back to them and say, you didn't have any knowledge. He had already recognized the fact that, that they had been gifted with tremendous knowledge. But remember, knowledge in and of itself leads to what? Pride. Matter of fact, I believe this. There are some Christians that grow and there are some Christians who swell. Hello? There's a difference. I've seen them. I've, (laughs) unfortunately, I've pastored them. I've seen them. Some Christians who really grow. And they're growing with a pure conscience because they, they're, they're grabbing knowledge and they're wrapping it up in love and it's balanced and they're growing in the Lord. But then there's some who just swell. <laughs> you know, the more I read, just swell. It's almost like my son had a, used to have a video game and I always loved the, the little balloon guy that, you know, you hit the button over and over again. He, he would puff up and puff up and puff up and he'd float and float and float and get back up. Anybody remember the name of that game years ago? Y'all don't have a clue, do you? You're over here on the knowledge side. You don't play video games, do you? <laughs> Just kidding. Anyhow, um, I forget the name of that. But anyhow, I used to love to be that guy because he would fall off the cliff or fall off the mountain or fall off the tree or fall off whatever it was. And you hit that button really, really, really fast and, and he would he'd swell up. And he'd some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It's, it's clicking with some of you, isn't it? Patty, what's the name of that game? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, knows what I'm talking about, but you don't remember the name of the game. Okay. I thought I was with the... Just the knowledge crowd, but some of you are balanced it in love, okay? No, I'm just kidding you. But anyhow, I used to love to be that guy because you could puff him up and he'd go back. That's, we don't want to be identified like that as Christians. <clears throat> you know? So let's hopefully and prayerfully we will grow. Now, the Corinthian church had tremendous knowledge. And Paul brought that to their attention. The Lord had gifted them. The Greek word charis, gifted them with tremendous knowledge. But they weren't using that knowledge properly. So, so look what he says in verse number 8. Or chapter 8 in verse number 1 and 2. About this food offered idols. We know that. He's using their words now. It's in quotations. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride. But love builds up. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not He does not yet know it as he ought to know it. 
If you think you've got a handle on it, and you, I know all of this, then careful, because you really don't yet know it as you should know it. Because knowledge in and of itself leads to, finish it for me, pride. So that's why Paul's saying, listen, if all you've got is knowledge, you don't, you don't know it yet. You think you know it all. You ever been around a know-it-all Christian? Boy, I used to be around, I've been around one before. I mean, every little thing that anybody would do, that anybody would say, that anything we do is, I mean, they're quoting chapter and verse, quoting chapter and verse, quoting chapter and verse, quoting chapter and verse. I mean, sometimes I want to say, will you stop? Tremendous knowledge. But you know what I saw in the individual? I saw knowledge led to pride. And it was not balanced with love. And that's our principle, remember? Knowledge inflates with pride. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. About eating food offered to idols then, here's the knowledge. Here's what they know. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. Now, Paul included himself with being one that was knowledgeable, right? He said, we. We know. Look what he says in verse 4. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. Notice once again, an idol is nothing in the world is in quotations. So once again, Paul has pulled something out of the letter that they wrote to him and used it right right here in this letter to talk to them about it, okay? This is the knowledge that they had. If you go back up to verse number one, we know that we all have knowledge. What's the knowledge about this particular issue? The knowledge that they had is found in verse number four, that an idol is nothing in the world. And here's some more knowledge they had. Once again, we're going to see another phrase in quotation. And that there is no God but one. So apparently the strong Christians at Corinth were offending these younger, weaker spiritually speaking, immature Christians at Corinth, they were writing a letter to Paul in defense of their own stand. They were saying, Paul, listen, we've got knowledge. And we know that food offered to idol is nothing. And we also know that there is but one God. In other words, Paul, we're monotheistic. We know there's one God. Paul saying, yep, you know, you're right. You see, they're building their defense in this letter to Paul. Paul is such a wise man. And God gifted him with tremendous wisdom to see through their defense. Matter matter of fact, that's a spiritual gift. And it's called the spiritual gift of discernment. Paul was able to look into this situation and see further and deeper into it as they were building their defense on why it was okay for them to eat this meat that had been offered to idols. They had tremendous knowledge. They knew that it meant nothing. They knew there was no other gods but one. They said there's only one God. Paul looked deeper into that. Everything that they had said up to this point was true. Okay? This meat that was offered up to idols, it wasn't anything. There was, there weren't any other gods. It's all in their mind. They understood that. They had that knowledge. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, here's more of this knowledge, there is one God, the Father. From who are all things and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and we know him. However, verse 7, 
Paul's changing gears on them now. Here's the spirit of discernment coming into play. Paul's looking deeper into this issue than what's on the surface. Because what's on the surface? The strong Christians at Corinth are correct in what they're saying. There is nothing to the meat that's offered idols. By the way, last week I introduced that whole thing about the meat. And in that day there were two places. Matter of fact, meat wasn't a a big item on the menu of the Jewish people. But whenever it was on the menu, there were two places where they would eat it or, or that, where they would purchase it, I should say. One is at the, at the common market. And on the common market, they would pay a supreme price for this meat. It would just cost them more to go to the common market and buy meat that had been offered to no idols anywhere in any of the pagan temples of worship. It's just meat that was there to sell. Now, you paid more for that meat. The other place you could buy meat was you could go to the pagan temples where the, the pagan believers would come in and they would offer up a sacrifice of some animal, some meat, to this false god, this idol that was made out of hands and just a statue. It was, there was nothing to it. But they would offer up this meat. And there you could buy that meat at a lot cheaper price than what you could at the common market. So the strong, mature believers in the church at Corinth thought, hey, we took Dave Ramsey's financial piece. You know, we know how to save a little bit of money right here. Well, it's just logic. Place comes into play. The meat is nothing. That meat is no different than this meat. Yeah, it's been offered to idol, but idols are nothing. And we know there's only one God. And so therefore, let's kind of save a little money in the pocketbook. And let's go over there and purchase that meat. Well, what was happening was this. There were some young believers in the church at Corinth. Some young Christians that had been saved out of that pagan culture. And they and their families had at one time offered up meat to these pagan gods. And they had worshipped these idols. And they had been delivered from that. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and have accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior. And now they get involved in church. And the more that they're involved in the church at Corinth now, they're looking around. And they're seeing some of the stronger Christians go right back to the place where they were delivered from. And buying the meat that they had one time offered. Do you see how that would prick a cord in their heart? How that would offend them? It's the same way. Let's bring it to our world with this same principle. And, and today is nothing merely than just an introduction. I haven't even really got down to unpacking it completely. But I just want to make you aware of what's taking place in this chapter. Let's bring it to our day. Guys, do you know that there's people in our church that God has delivered from alcohol? Let's just talk about alcohol. Do you know there's people in our church that God has delivered from alcohol? And how there's people in our church that were addicted to it. It was destroying their life. It was destroying their marriage. It was destroying their career, their job. It was destroying relationships that they had until one day... They gloriously found the Lord. 
and God came into their life and did a work in their heart and in their life and delivered them from that, started the the process of restoration in their life, restoring their families, restoring their marriage, restoring their relationship with their children again, Restoring the relationship with extended family members. God's in this work of restoration, restoring them and growing them up. But yet they would enter into a church and they would see other Christians go out and have a social drink. You know what that does? That offends the weaker brother. To the point that it may cause him to stumble and completely fall out of his relationship with God and the church. And say, you know what? There really is no difference. They're putting on a mask and asking like they got it all together. And in all reality, they're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. They clean up on Sunday. They do the same thing the world does on Friday and Saturday. Let me tell you why I preach total abstinence from alcohol. I am not a social drinker, nor do I endorse it or condone it. Matter of fact, I've told my kids and looking for jobs. And that's one of the reasons my son works at McDonald's. I said, you're not even going to work in a place that sells alcohol. I don't want you selling it to anybody. He wanted to get a job at supermarkets at one time. Back years ago when he first trying to get a job. Now, I'm not, you, you got to do what you got to do with your family and your kids. But I told my son, as for me and my house, hello. That sounds like Joshua of old, huh? You do what you want to do, Joshua told his people. But as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. And it's kind of a line that I drew in the sand early on with my kids. Listen, you're not going to serve it. You're not going to be in a place that serves it. You're not, you're not going to check it out and sell it to somebody. Let me tell you why. Because I get phone calls. Guys, listen, if you could sit in my office and if you could take the phone calls that I receive and if you could sit in the counseling sessions that I sit in, I'm telling you, alcohol destroys. I just took a phone call last week from a mother, a mother of a, of a, of a grown adult daughter, weeping, bawling, and crying because her daughter was in a drunken stoop on her front porch. Preacher, what do I do? Let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you the picture that the devil will not paint for you. The beautiful picture you see is on TV. Matter of fact, I'll be the first one to tell you the beer commercials have the best commercials on TV. Do they not? That's nothing but a little ploy from the devil to try to entice everyone to indulge in it a little bit. Hello? They'll show you the pretty women and the good-looking guys and the nice cars and everybody having fun. Why would you not have a little social drink? Look what you get to have. What they don't show you is what's been all over Fox News last week about these teenage kids. They had this big party, and all the teachers at the school knew it. And they knew there was alcohol there. Somebody went and purchased alcohol for these teenagers. They weren't old enough to get it. Some teenagers leave that party, and they hit, have a wreck, and it literally cuts the car in two kills all the teenagers in it who was it cause the liquid devil was it cause who's that that's alcohol guys listen and son you know what we've lost church members over this but i believe we got to make a stand 
against alcohol. We don't condone it, nor do we agree with it whatsoever. If for no other principle at all, and by the way, I believe there's many more principles in God's word that can preach against alcohol more than this one. But if for no other reason, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 13 is a pretty good reason. Paul said, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. That's living a life for someone else. And you know what? When I was late in my teens and early 20s, I indulged in alcohol. And you know what? It does nothing. It does nothing but just, it's, it's all for self. And whatever feeling you can get has no regards for anybody else. Matter of fact, also in the book of Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, don't be drunk with wine in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what wine and alcohol does? Let me give you another principle while we're kind of on the subject. Hello? You okay? Let me tell you something else it does. It gives you a new center of influence. There's something else now controlling your life other than the whisper of the Holy Spirit and the gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit. That's how, that's how God works in our life. You remember when he put Elijah in a cave and, and there was a strong whirlwind and storms and everything else, but God was in none of that. You can go read that in 1 Kings. and God was in none of that. But then there was that whisper, that quietness. That's how God speaks to us, that gentleness. But whenever we indulge in alcohol, you know what we have now? We have something, something that's dulled our senses. Hello? We have a new center of influence. I don't know about you, but I remember years ago, back in my late teens and 21, 22, right, right there in that age, 21. Lord deliver me out of about 22. But right at 21, I remember I used to go to some bars and I'd walk around and I'd see someone come in and it'd be the, the quietest, smallest, most humblest individual there. And he wouldn't say a whole lot, but he'd belly up to the bar and give him a few drinks. And before long, you know what he was doing? He was walking around taking names of everybody that he was going to fight. You know, it's, it's almost like the joke. He walked in, he walked up to a bar and said, what's your name? He said, gave me his name, he wrote it down. I said, what's your name? Gave his name, he wrote it down. What's your name? Gave his name, he wrote it down. And finally walked up to this one guy and said, what's your name? He said, why do you want it? He said, well, I'm writing down the names of everybody's tail I'm going to kick here tonight. You know, kind of alcohol is taking over on him. And that big old guy looked at me and said, well, I guarantee you're not going to kick my tail. He said, I'll just take your name off the list. <laughs> you know, but alcohol does that to us. It, it kind of gets us to the place where we have a new center. We're controlled by something. I mean, people do things when they're on alcohol they'd never think about doing when they were not. Hello? Whether it's talking, whether it's fighting, whether it's treating their families in such a way. I've counseled with people that when daddy come, would come home drunk, the kids would literally have to run and hide in the house. Why is that? They're controlled by a new center of influence. Paul said, don't allow that to happen. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is also saying in this chapter, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. 
You know, I, 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 you know, I'm from the South. I'm from North Carolina, okay? If you watch any ACC basketball at all, you know that's called Tobacco Road. Why is it called Tobacco Road? Tobacco fields everywhere. Winston-Salem, you remember the old Winston cigarettes and Salem cigarettes? They were made right there in Winston-Salem. I mean, I've toured the cigarette factories and everything. I mean, I grew up with a chew in my mouth. I mean, it's just kind of how you're growing up in the South. And it went from a chew to a dip of skull and from skull to little pouches and but finally, I, and even into my early Christian life, then finally, mainly my wife, she hated that stuff. <laughs> but other people would say, you know what? Why do you do that? I realized it started offending folks. So I did, I did without red man, beach nut. You know, put it aside. I can live without it. It started offending other people. What's that called? It's called Christian maturity and growth. And realizing that life is not about me. Now, people that get upset over teaching like this, are people that life is all about them. You're not going to tell me what I can do and can't do, and i got to stop. But we got to grow past that, okay? It's not do's and don'ts. It's the main principle I unpacked at the very beginning of this lesson. If it offends my brother, then we shouldn't do it. Hello? We'll unpack that more. That was just the introduction for chapter 8, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together as we study your word. And, and God, your word is sharper, as the book of Hebrews says, than a two-edged sword. It cuts coming and going to the, to the root and the marrow and the soul of our hearts. And God, I thank you for that because I need that in my life. And Father, I pray that we would all grow as a result of, of gaining knowledge, but at the same time growing in love and considering our actions and how it may affect our brothers and sisters in the Lord. God, help us to balance the two so that we can be healthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.